Serb Alpern, the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Monday edition of Fangraphs Audio is our managing editor, Dave Cameron. Cameron joins us from Phoenix, Arizona, where many members of Fangraphs spent the past weekend participating in a variety of team-building exercises. In what follows, Cameron and I discuss the positional power rankings that went up on the site last week, both what they taught us and how they might look different next year. As part of that conversation, we discussed specifically Jamie Moyer, the 49-year-old Jamie Moyer, and his attempt to come back from shoulder surgery with the Colorado Rockies. We look at yet another rumor that has Chicago White Sox right-hander Gavin Floyd going to the Toronto Blue Jays. And additionally, we discuss the Mariners' top four pitching prospects, and generally speaking, what we can expect a team's top four pitching prospects to become in the future. All of those things and more to follow in this Monday edition of Fangraphs Audio with Dave Cameron, right now. Does he know no? Does he know no about that? Well, I, not yet. Yeah, uh, and the uh, the listener would do well to note that Dave Cameron is a is an impressive snorer. Right. Uh, yeah, but Eno is not exactly uh, roses and flowers himself. In terms of snoring, or in terms of just his conduct generally? Uh, well, I've, so I've actually never shared a room with Eno, so I'm speaking from secondhand stories. But I've I've heard from previous Eno roommates that. It's not, it's not the best experience ever. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of, uh, I, uh, there are a number of people on Team Fangraphs, and I'm starting to realize this more every year, um, who have, for one reason or another, possessed traits that that make them difficult as roommates. Um, yeah, well, I think that's probably people who write on the internet for a living in general. I don't think it's just Fangraphs exclusively. Yeah, uh, of course, I spent the uh, the weekend with Dane Perry. And right. I was uh, subject, I'm sorry about that. yeah, I was subject to all manner of uh, disgusting behavior. I mean, really, really abysmal. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you're 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 kind of the one who volunteered to travel with him, so I have little sympathy for you. I did, yeah, and I didn't realize I didn't realize. Um, I I suppose I thought that that Dane had a sort of writing persona, you know, that he would put on <laughs> when when he sat down at the keyboard, um, but that would not necessarily you know, be borne out in in a, his day to day affairs, uh, but truly, Boy, were you wrong? Yes, I truly. In fact, I would argue that um, having to to share space with with Dane in human form is actually um, much more challenging than having to to get through his written work. It, it seems like he does put on a persona for his writing, but it's that he tones down himself in real life. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually makes it palatable uh, for the reader. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, really. Uh, I I didn't see a lot of Dane fully clothed, I guess is what I mean to say. It was difficult. The, 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 there's a reason that uh, I, I stuck you with him and not did not go near him myself. Yeah, it was challenging. So now where are you literally as we speak? Are you back at the hotel? No, the uh, internet at our hotel is less than optimal, so I have camped out at a wildflower bread, uh, which is kind of a Phoenix chain version of Panera, and like almost everywhere else we've gone this weekend, endorsed by Keith Law. We're basically just eating through Keith Law's tour guide, uh, so this was uh, one of Keith's recommendations, is like a decent Panera replacement. 
All right. Well, there you go. You uh, actually, uh, I believe, um, perhaps minutes ago, you were, um, you made it. You did another recording for Clubhouse Confidential. Did you find a um, some sort of TV studio in the Greater Phoenix area for that purpose? Well, they found it for me, yes. But there's a Fox studio downtown that they sent me to, and uh, I taped a thing about uh, the positional power ranking starting pitchers pieces I did, and then we talked about Mariano Rivera a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I think that's going to air today. Um, uh, I can't be certain they might push it to tomorrow. I've heard rumors that I might get bumped for Jamie Moyer, which I'm I'm happy to uh, let Jamie Moyer take my place. He deserves it. Uh, but that will either be on today or tomorrow. Well, actually, well, I want to talk about the positional rankings generally, but but let's you you just invoked Jamie Moyer. I hadn't planned on discussing him, but I'm curious as to what you know uh, about Jamie Moyer's comeback attempt so far. I believe he's coming off some manner of arm surgery, perhaps rotator cuff. I believe it was rotator cuff. Yeah, he had been had shoulder surgery that kept him out for uh, last year or so, and uh, he's. Attempting his comeback with the Rockies uh, because they're the only one who would give him a spring training invite. Um, and at 49 years old, it's unlikely that he's going to, uh, you know, be a big part of their future. But um, the Rockies' rotation is not very good, and uh, Moyer is certainly a kind of guy that you would want to have around your young pitchers. Um, and, you know, if he's just in camp on a minor league invite, you're not really paying him anything. Uh, there's really no downside here for the Rockies. Um, and if some of their young pitchers struggle and they end up having a rotation platform, I think Moyer has proven that, you know, the kind of, uh, the style that he pitches doesn't really age like most styles. And, you know, the, I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't be a serviceable number five starter. Colorado might not be the best spot for him. But I think overall, Jimmy Moyer at the back end of your rotation isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and as we've discussed, it, um, it, it might have been you or perhaps it was another one of our, our writers who did a post on, the sort of uh, pitchers that the Rockies have been targeting this offseason. Um, Moyer is actually, I mean, at some levels, part of this group, but between Moscoso and, oh, for, forget some of the other names, but there were, um, in general, it seemed that they're pursuing players who have, generally speaking, induced weak contact. Yeah, so, I mean, they traded for Kevin slowly. They did eventually trade him away, but along with Moscoso um, and then Moyer. It seems like they were targeting fly ball guys who had uh, traditionally held down their batting average to some balls in play. And as we noted uh, a few months ago, the number one uh, driver behind Coors Field park factor is that it inflates Babbitt even more than home run rate. I mean, it is the uh, easiest place to get hits on balls in play in all of baseball by far every year since its existence, basically. Even with the introduction of the humidor, it didn't matter. Um, that place is just... Uh, killer for pitchers to have it. So the Rockies have apparently uh, attempted to acquire pitchers who might be able to um, defeat that somewhat, or at least negate the effects of Colorado. We'll see how it works. It's an interesting experiment of getting fly ball pitchers in a park that turns fly balls into home runs, but you know, if these guys do have some sort of skill where they can get the ball to be um, get his pop-ups more often or not driven all that hard, uh, you know, if a pitcher actually has the ability to hold down batting average on balls in play, uh, and he can negate that effect of Coors Field, then he might still be able to have some success there, even if he's a fly ball guy in Colorado. You, you mentioned that, uh, generally speaking, the uh, the Rockies' rotation is not particularly excellent. You actually, as you as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you wrote uh, the article on uh, the positional. You did the positional power rankings for starting pitchers. We did positional power rankings all last week at the site. Uh, it looks like the Rockies finished. 
probably the bottom 28th. half. Oh, twenty eighth. Yeah, 28th, uh, not particularly strong. Um, I Just generally speaking, with that project for you, with the starting pitchers, uh, was that how, how was it different, or, or you know, perhaps how did it uh, come out similarly to what you expected? Well, I think I expected it to be less work, so I faced the wrath of all my uh, coworkers after I assigned them these pieces that turned out to be monstrous tasks of effort. So uh, I would like to publicly apologize to everyone who I made do a positional power ranking piece, and uh, I'm sorry, but uh, thanks for all your hard work. Um, but in doing the pieces, I was actually uh, struck by um, there are certainly a few teams who uh, my impression of them was not uh, what it turned out to be when I started looking at the projections and looking at how many innings you could actually expect from the five guys in the rotation versus who they might have to bring up for the minors to fill spots if someone gets injured or struggles. Um, you know, the Rockies were one team that, in my mind, had no K rotation. They had a decent, you know, collection of decent young arms with Julie Sassine and Alex White and Drew Pomeranz, and I was thinking it was a rotation that could actually be okay. And then I started to look at it, and it's really, it's not. It's, it's not very good. And Jer- Jeremy Guthrie is basically their ace. Uh, he's an average pitcher at best. Um, and in Colorado, you know, he's another one of these guys who's got a lower than expected batting average of balls in play and has had a lower area than a fit for uh, most of his career. We'll see if that can continue in Colorado. It's uh, an experiment, but it might not work. Um, and he's their best pitcher. So uh, I think the Rockies rotation has some real weaknesses up front. They've got some interesting talents at the back end, but, uh, you know, there's reasons to be concerned about how it's light even before his DUI. Um, and, you know, Drew Pomeranz, uh, you know, is a good prospect, but might not be ready to be a, a quality frontline major league starter. Um, and there's a lot, there's just a lot of injury and weak, uh, depth issues there. Um, and I think the Rockies rotation is, uh, going to be their undoing this year. Yeah, curiously, uh, of course I wrote the, the bullpen, uh, power ranking post. And actually the, the bullpen's looking good. They came in, um, of course, you know, there's a definite margin for error here, but they came in fifth overall. I mean, between, uh, between Betancourt and um, Matt Belial, 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 yeah, Belial, uh, and then and then uh, uh, Rex Brothers as well. Um, that's actually that's actually a pretty good triumvirate at the back end. Yeah, right. Their bullpen's not bad, um, and you know I think they have enough excess starters where they could potentially move one of their not quite ready for prime time starting pitchers to the bullpen, let him get his feet wet in the major leagues out of relief, and then maybe convert him back. And the Dallas Knight could be a good candidate for that if they decide they want to carry him. Um, but he's not ready for the rotation. So, you know, I think their their bullpen will be strong, but they're going to have to get a lot of use because I don't see a lot of guys on that team who are going to be able to go six, seven innings with regularity, especially in, you know, a high-scoring environment like Colorado. You're going to have a lot of games where the starters get knocked out in the fourth, fifth inning, so that bullpen is going to get worked pretty hard. Now, besides the uh, the sort of labor-intensive nature of the uh, positional power ranking posts, uh, did you learn anything else just from – seeing all these sorts of works, uh, these pieces together. I know that it, it was at some level replacing the team previews we did um, last year and perhaps the year before. Uh, I'm curious as to as to how the project, um, you know, now appears to you with you being able to see it sort of um, uh, completed and having, and having gone through once. Yeah, you know, I think overall the concept is good, and I think people enjoyed uh you know, maybe not enjoyed the rankings themselves in every situation, but I think enjoyed the, um, you know, a season preview done in a different format. I think most places that do season previews kind of go by a similar script and they can get, you know, pretty similar. Um, so I think that this was a different way to kind of look at every position in baseball for every team and give all 30 teams, 
you know, a, a fair look and what they have and what you can expect from them and kind of give people an idea of, you know, where teams are strong or weak. So I think the, the idea is sound. There are certainly some execution areas that could have been done better. I think, you know, for next year perhaps we'll uh, do a little bit more collaborative effort with crowdsourcing depth charts um, and not requiring the, each author to to dig through the depth charts for all 30 teams in a specific position. There's probably better ways to do that. But, uh, you know, I think overall, uh, I, I like the idea of the series. I think it worked fairly well. Um, wasn't perfect, but it was okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with those sentiments. It, it was a, a, a lot of work. And I will say also that as one author, it's difficult to to sort of accurately present all 30 depth charts. Yeah. Um you know, like, for example, right. I think I whiffed on Edward Muhika for the Marlins. Um, right. And then just distributing innings, you know, beyond that. Um, yeah. Or, or plate appearances. It, it's, a, it's a challenging thing. And, and certainly, uh, you know, interested fans and slash readers will, you know, see that you've misrepresented their team and uh, call you on it with with enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's our readers are enthusiastic bunch. But, I mean, I think that there's definitely uh, – uh, uh, an opportunity for us to, you know, tap into the fact that a lot of our people on staff have knowledge about their specific teams, and uh, you know, maybe for next year we can do a better job of not making the individual writer of the post go through 29 franchises that he might not be that familiar with, and make educated guesses when we have people on staff who might already know that information. Um, I want to get to there, just there's a report that's come out this afternoon about a potential move. Um, between the White Sox and the Blue Jays sending Gavin Floyd, uh, Canadian word, uh, or Canada word. But before I get that, I just want to um, talk about Arizona um, generally. Um, you've been down there since Thursday. Of course, I was down there with you. We got to see a couple games. Uh, I think you we saw the, um, um, the, the Rockies uh, and A's the first day. We saw the Reds and A's the second day. I think you saw um, the Angels and someone. Sunday. Um, the, the, that was the double-A uh, version of the Cleveland Indians, or, oh, okay. or some version of the Cleveland Indians. It was uh, massively disappointing and got beat 17-2, to which was actually the score of the sixth inning. That's a lot of runs. The um, I'm curious as to what um, – I don't know how much time you spent on the backfields, perhaps none, but I'm curious as to what, you, if anything, you, you've been able to learn uh, You know, just watching um, the games you've seen this year specifically. Uh, well, I think the first thing I learned is that UNSS Bidef will not swing at every pitch he sees. In his first uh, bat in the uh, Cactus League game, he took a six-pitch walk where he didn't swing the bat, which is uh, about the most anticlimactic uh, result you could have hoped for in UNSS Bidef's debut. Uh, maybe a hit-by-pitch would have been more anticlimactic, but uh, more entertaining. So um, overall, I, w- I would say that there's not a whole lot to be learned from Cactus League games, uh, especially when it's, you know, uh, Major league players who, by and large, have a general feel for what they're going to do or what kind of player they are, uh, and they're just going to go into the motions to get in shape and you know get their bats ready or their arms ready, uh, stretch themselves out, whatever. And you know, I think this weekend was maybe a little bit more focused on socialness than on uh, scouting. So um, I, I probably learned more about my fellow authors than I did about the players on the team. But uh, you know, I'm out here for another week, uh, staying through for the next for the favorite convention next weekend, um, and I do plan on hitting up some backfields over the next few days and seeing some players that I would otherwise be able to see throughout the year, and hopefully I'll be able to uh, learn some interesting things uh, that you can't learn necessarily in watching a Cactus League game. Now, uh, to your disappointment, 
or partially to your disappointment, our dinner on uh, Saturday night uh, happened to overlap with a Mariners game that featured uh, four, prob- you know, probably the four top starting pitching prospects for the Mariners and Danny Holtz and Erasmo Ramirez, uh, Taiwan Walker, and uh, James Paxton. Um, yeah. Now, here, here's a question I'm curious about. I, I know you were a little disappointed in missing that, but as a Mariner fan, I'm guessing you're pretty excited about those guys. Given um, the sort of precedent, um, what can we expect from, I guess, from any team's top four pitching prospects? If we have a, you know, four guys coming up like that, what are the odds that you know that one becomes, you know, like a, a top level starter? You know, a couple other guys maybe middle of the rotation, or another guy's flame out entirely. Like, how do we? If you got four guys that you're excited about. What are the you know what is the most likely chances of where they end up? Yeah, I mean to me, I look at it as more like three, and then Ramirez is part of the next group. So I think Walker, Holton, and Paxton are all top fifty prospects in baseball, or something close to it. Uh, you know, maybe back to sixty or something. But they're all in the well, comfortably in the top one hundred, and probably towards the front half of the top one hundred. Erasmo Ramirez is more along the lines of a you know top one fifty, top two hundred guy. He's not. Terrible, but a lot of organizations have Erasmo Ramirez types. Um, so I don't necessarily put him in the same group as I do with uh, Walker, Paxton, and Holton. So, uh, you know, in focusing on those three, I think if the Mariners can get one above-average starting pitcher and one average starting pitcher uh, out of that group, they should be happy. Uh, and I know that sounds pessimistic considering the, you know, the hopes of, oh, man, we've got three aces on the way. And But I think every time we've seen this, you know, with Isringhausen, Pulsifer, and Wilson or – um, you know, like the, the trios of guys, you know, the DVD combo in Texas where they had Danks, uh, Volquez, and, um, Diamond. Somebody else's, yes, Thomas Diamond. There you go. See, that's how famous he became. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So those three, you know, were certainly hailed as, like, uh, elite pitching prospects. John Danks has turned into a decent starter. Um, Edison Volquez was traded for Josh Hamilton, so it worked out well for the Rangers, but he hasn't become what they thought he would be, and Thomas Diamond is the best. So I think that's kind of the, uh, expected career path when you have, guys like this whose uh, arms are make or break them. And, um, you know, if Danny Holson turns into a solid mid-rotation starter and um, either James Paxton or Taiwan Walker turn into a, u- a useful um, arm, maybe not the best pitcher in baseball, but a good arm, then the Mariners should give them a good return. There's certainly upside for more, and, you know, I think the Mariners are banking on the fact they're going to get more than that. But if you look at expected returns with our, uh, attrition and injuries and um, guys breaking down or just not developing to what they should be, if you've got three top 50 pitching prospects, you should probably be happy if you get, you know, one and a half good pitchers out of that. Now, is that, how does that, um, that with that in mind, um, how ought we to, to regard a team like, like the Giants that have produced, you know, in the last five years, uh, Tim Linscom, Matt Cain, Madison Bumgarner, and, you know, I know you're not his biggest fan, but Jonathan Sanchez has still been, uh, you know, still been an arm, a useful arm at some level. Um, what makes that happen? Is it is it a question of luck? Is it a question of um, scouting and development? You know, is it a question of um, a, a talented medical staff? How does that happen? And you know how you know what? How does that reflect on other teams where it doesn't happen? Uh, I think it's a combination of luck and player development, uh, and you know uh, maybe things that you know park factors in the Giants' case. I do think that they're part helps their pitching 
their right-handed pitchers quite a bit. And, you know, whether Matt Cain would have turned into Matt Cain in, you know, Colorado or Chicago or Texas or somewhere else is an open question. Um, so I, I do think that there's some other outside factors in play there as well. But, I mean, there's certainly uh, some organizations that are better at developing pitching than others. The Braves have been churning through starting pitchers for the last 20 years and have done a very good job of it. Um, you know, meanwhile, the Royals haven't really developed a good starting pitcher since, I don't care, eight year. <laughs> it's been a while since they've had a, a quality homegrown starting pitcher. Um, so, you know, there's certainly differences between organizations. Um, but I think, you know, not to be, not to diminish too much the role of player development and coaching staff, but a lot of those really just luck. I mean, uh, you know, Tim Lincecum could have easily become Mark Breyer and the Giants wouldn't have looked so good. And so, you know, we're not to a spot where we can really predict which pitchers are going to stay healthy or not. And I think major league teams, for the most part, are just taking arms that they think could be good if they stay healthy and hope that they do stay healthy. And um, whether they do or not is somewhat out of their control. I mentioned before that uh, I'd like to talk about this, and, and we should do it now. Um, and speaking of arms, of course, I, uh, both um, uh, Ken Run- Rosenthal and John Paul Morris here reporting that uh, the Blue Jays are pursuing uh, White Sox right-hander Gavin Floyd. Um, the Blue Jays have a decent uh, but probably not dominant rotation at the moment. Ricky Romero, Brandon Morrow, Henderson Alvarez, and then you know some combination of Brett Cecil, Dustin McGowan. I'm curious about your thoughts both on, uh, you know, what this trade would do for either team, and then, and then secondly, um, you know, the chances of it happening from your point of view. Well, I'm excited that we get another Gavin Floyd to the Blue Jays rumor. It's been like three days since this has been reported, and uh, you know, that's maybe the longest drought we've gone all winter. So, I'm very excited to see the return of the Gavin Floyd to the Blue Jays rumor. Um, you know, I think this is a trade that. You know, Gavin Floyd should be traded. Uh, the White Sox are kind of sort of committing to a rebuild. They didn't really put all, put themselves all in, but they're kind of sort of going young and trying to, um, you know, reestablish themselves with a different crop of players than the one they have now. And Floyd's only under contract for two more years, and he can help a contender. Um, so they probably should cash in Gavin Floyd for what they can get for him now. Um, I, I would have said that with John Danks as well before they signed him to extension, but, you know, that's, I'm not running the White Sox. So, um, you know, I think Floyd makes sense for the Red Sox. He makes sense for the Blue Jays. There's a bunch of teams in the American League that could use one more starter at the back end of the rotation to compete for that second wild card position, or even the first wild card. But I think for the Blue Jays, especially the second wild card, is an incentive for them to upgrade their team. And uh, Floyd would certainly help. The rotation isn't great, uh, especially at the back end. They've got a lot of question marks, and so um, he's a solid, above-average starting pitcher. He hasn't lived up to his peripherals the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, I think overall, a pitcher with runs of two and a half to one, strike out the walk ratio and gets ground balls, you got to be pretty happy to have that in your rotation. Um, if the White Sox can get, uh, you know, a couple of solid prospects that could, you know, maybe help their team as, as soon as next year, that's probably a move they should make. Yeah, I mean, the, the White Sox um, minor league, uh, I, I, I don't know precisely where they were in Mark Hewlett's minor league rankings, but I'm guessing it's... Uh, dead, dead, dead last. Dead last, They're Dead right. last on every, everybody's minor league rankings. Even people who don't know anything about the minor league rankings know the White Sox farm system is the worst we've seen in a long time. Right, and, and this offseason, they've they've perhaps made it slightly better uh, by acquiring Simone Castro uh, from the Padres in the... Uh, the Carlos Quentin deal. They acquired Nestor Molina uh, for Sergio Santos. Um, so there's there's two arms right there. But I think it's generally a bad sign when your top prospect is a relief pitcher. Uh, and in this case, Addison Reed was was number one both in the BA rankings and also uh, Kevin Goldstein's rankings. Um, that's probably damning with faintest of praise. 
uh, you know, otherwise though the the rotation for the White Sox doesn't doesn't look so bad. I mean, you have Danks and Floyd, and then maybe Peavy's healthy, and then you know Chris Sale, uh, and then you know if Phil if Phil Humber is is your fifth best starter. That's not a particularly bad rotation, but do you think they have no chance besides that, or do you think that it's just uh, imperative for the club to develop some sort of minor league system? Well, I do think that the White Sox rotation is pretty good. I think I had them tenth uh, or ninth or something like that of the divisional power rankings. I think they're definitely above average. Um, there's some real question marks with TV's health and how many innings they'll be able to throw. I guess the doctors eventually told him that you're not going to get any better. You're just going to have to deal with the pain. So uh, whether he'll ever be able to throw more than 120, 130 innings with a season again is a bit of an open question. But, you know, I think the, the talent is there for their rotation to be good. There's just a lack of talent elsewhere on the roster. So, um, you know, they've got, they're basically counting on Adam Dunn and Alex Rios to come back from the dead. Uh, the defense isn't great. There's not a, a wave of young talent coming. Um, and, you know, so if the offense is just okay, the defense is bad, the bullpen is, you know, all right, but not amazing after they traded Sergio Santos away. Um, and the rotation, I don't think, is good enough to carry a below-average uh, cast of characters around them. Um, you know, I think the White Sox are a middling team at this point. They'll finish around 500. They won't be bad. They won't be awful, but they're not going to be great. Um, and they kind of need to commit one way or another. And you know, with trading Santos away and uh, some of the moves they've made, you know, they made steps towards rebuilding. And it's probably time to just, you know, actually. Uh, put their hand in the pot and say, all right, this is what we're actually going to do. Yeah, I think that's been the strange thing about their offseason is they seem they seem to be hedging their bets a little bit um, between, you know, like trading away Sergio Santos, um, you know, who is a, who is a real piece and, and pretty effective for what he does, um, but then also signing John Danks to, to an extension. It, it seems to be that they're kind of talking out both sides of their mouth. Yeah, I think there's uh, uh, a little bit of a, uh, lack of conviction there. So, like with Danks, they certainly shopped him, but maybe uh, didn't get the kind of offer they would have thought they could have gotten for Danks. They just signed him instead. Um, but I think they went into the offseason planning on doing a rebuild, and then decided that you know it wasn't a great market to be a seller, um, and so they kind of just didn't do anything, which is not really a great plan. I mean, uh, it wasn't the best market to be a seller, but sometimes you have to say, you know what, maybe I could have gotten more if I would have decided to do this six months ago. But that's in the past, and this is what I can do now, and, you know, what's best for the franchise right now is probably to uh, begin with a rebuild and not sit around and say, oh, well, I wish that the market for my players was better than it actually is. What are the odds that uh, Brent Morrell has the uh, highest war on the team this year? Uh, on the just position players or the entire roster? Among the position players. I would say less than 10%. I think uh, his interesting September makes him a player to watch. Um, you know, it, the fact that he was able to draw 15 walks in a month after drawing six in the first six months is uh, pretty fascinating. And, uh, you know, his uh, ability to hit the ball in the air and hit for power after not being able to do that really in his entire career is um, interesting. Uh, so he's a guy to keep an eye on, but not a guy that uh, I would bank on. I, I just don't think we can throw away his entire previous career up till September and say, Okay, Brent Morrill figured out how to be awesome because if he could, uh, you know, convert himself to, from bad to awesome, he probably would have done it pretty sooner in the year. Um, so it's certainly possibly made adjustments and improved, but I think we need to significantly regress his September performance. And um, you know, I would peg him as a as a two to three win upside guy. Uh, I would be surprised if he did any better than that. And if that's the White Sox best position player, they'll lose 100 games. Okay, so let's say two and a half. Do you, if if it's two and a half, would would you take the under? Yeah, I would take the under. I think probably one and one to two is more likely. 
Um, you know, I would say two and a half is probably something close to like a seventy-five percent best-case scenario outcome. Okay, well, I'll take I'll take the over, and um, we can bet uh, we can bet a beverage on it. How about this? The uh, person who is closer to the truth uh, does not have to room with Dane Perry next year. Oof! I wow! I think oh man! I I, I think that the only person the person who rooms with Dane Perry next year should be someone who didn't go this year. It should be like a like a <laughs> well, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I, I like this player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that should be it. Uh I, I it was real rough. It was real rough. I, I said as I said, you know, Dane, you don't know me that well and yet you've said and done disgusting things to me and near me all weekend. You know, um you know, if you were rooming with uh you know, Appleman or Cameron or anyone else, would you do that? Uh, he said, Yeah, yeah, I would do I would do that. I would do those yeah. same things. Well, uh, I, I think that that's just uh, kind of Dane. He is not a uh, a person who discerns, um, you know, the kind of company he's keeping. He just does what he wants to do, and what he wants to do is, you know, take off his clothing. Yeah, he's like a well-educated, um, like Wolverine or something. Do, do you know what I mean? Or, I was, I was going to go with barbarian. Yeah, well, yeah, there because he's clearly well-read uh, and intelligent, yep. Um, yep. and a good writer. Um, but in his behavior, yeah, 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 yeah. Or maybe like one of those children that's raised in the wild, right? But uh, like just shuffles into town when it's 11 years old. Yeah, I think Dane Perry is kind of the walking example for uh, why keeping people in cages is not such a terrible idea. Well, this, yeah, you could present some sort of argument for it. Not to say it's not entirely right. humane and, and certainly should be only utilized sparingly. But in certain right. cases, uh, you know, if you meet certain criteria, then yeah, you can cage a human. I mean, that is prison, I guess. That's what prison is. No, no, I, I'm thinking like an actual like cage, like a two by four structure uh, that you can carry around with a handle. Right, right, right. Just, just you know, throw a MacBook in there so you can let him yeah. do his work, uh, but right. uh, but otherwise keep him keep him um, apart from humans. Maybe we could even get him a cardinal so that he would feel. Uh, like he was, you know, akin to the St. Louis Cardinals, and we could like have him share the cage with the bird. I think he would, he would probably kill it. He would probably true that bird would die. Yeah, yeah, that bird would die. Um, uh, all right, you have anything uh, uh, that we didn't talk about that we need to talk about, Dave Cameron? Uh, well, I'm sure if there was anything like that pressing that we could uh, hold it till next Monday, and uh, you know, we'll we'll offer up a tease of. Um, tune in next Monday for all the things we didn't get to. Yes, very important things. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe it's not a s- super. Um, uh, it's not. It's not a great news day necessarily. It's um, low volume at this point. Well, it's it's a great news day for you in that you're no longer hanging out with Dane. Yes, that's the best news possible. All right, Dave Cameron. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you do what it is you do, I guess, when you're in Arizona, uh, and I'm gonna um, edit this podcast. But in the but in the meantime. Uh, it was a pleasure seeing you in Arizona, and uh, I wish you the best of luck this week. Thanks, and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon again, I'm sure. We will do that. That is Dave Cameron, Managing Editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli, and we'll continue to be even uh, after this podcast. And this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio.